back there. Genesis chapter 12, verse number 1. Uh, we're going to go there in the Bible. The book of Genesis chapter 12, uh, obviously we're talking about Israel. And I'm calling the sermon Israel God's timepiece. And uh, the reason that I am preaching on this, and no doubt you've come with some degree of interest in the subject, uh, was on October the 7th, 11 days ago at 6.30 a.m. in the morning Israel time, Palestinian terrorist group Hamas fired 5,000 missiles from Gaza into Israel. At the same time, more than 1,000 terrorists invaded Israel and hunted down Jews. They slaughtered 260 partygoers. Many others were taken back to Gaza as hostages or public torture and execution. Israeli families along the border answered knocks at their door unsuspecting and were murdered in cold blood in their houses. To date, they say some one and a half thousand Israelis have been killed. Twice that number have been injured. And to put that in context, if that was happening in Australia, it would be something like 4,000 Australians are dead and 8,000 are injured. So I lay that as a foundation for the text tonight, Genesis chapter 12. And there are several questions that I have fielded in the last 11 days, whether from members of our congregation, other people, other pastors, looking for some insight. And so several questions need to be asked. One of those is who are the Palestinians that are causing all the trouble over there in the Middle East? Why are they fighting Israel? Whose land is it that they're fighting over? What does God think about all of this? What will God do in response? And all will be revealed, or shall I say most will be revealed tonight. I only have 30 or 40 minutes to tell the story. In the text we're about to read, it's a familiar portion of Scripture. Many wouldn't read it in this context but God tells Abraham that he, God, is giving him land that today we call Israel. This is happening in Genesis 12, chapter 12. This is nearly 4,000 years ago. And he's saying it's their right to their land that is today in dispute once again. So I want to preach a sermon called Israel, God's Timepiece. We're going back to a text in Genesis chapter 12 uh, and keep those various questions in mind. Uh, I'm reading verse number 1 and then verses 5 through 7. You can read the rest of that in your own time. The Bible says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house uh, to a land. I want you to notice how many times the word land is mentioned in the text. Uh, to a land that I will show you. Skip down to verses 5 through 7. Then Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. Mark that down in your Bibles. To go to the land of Canaan. And so they came where? To the land of Canaan. And Abram passed through the land of the, to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Moriah. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. And there Abraham built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Amen. Let's look first of all 
for a couple of moments at the indisputable. The reason I chose this text, and there are many texts I could choose. I could choose Ezekiel. I could choose Zechariah. I can choose uh, 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 Isaiah. I can choose Matthew chapter 24. Lots of texts. Amos we could choose. Lots of texts we could use to speak about Israel and the end times. Uh, The reason I chose this particular text uh, is the Bible highlights six times uh, in those short few verses uh, that God is giving the land... uh, to Abraham and to his descendants. It's called the land of Canaan. It is not called the land of Palestine, and it's not inhabited, the Bible says, by Palestinians. It's inhabited, the Bible says, by Canaanites. Now, to put this in context, here's a picture of the world. Can you put that up for me, please, George? That's the world. I'm hoping that most people in the building could spot Israel in amongst all of that. That's all the world's land mass. I'm hoping you can spot Israel. If you can't, let me give you a second map, help you to spot it. There's a little red ring in the middle of the whole thing there that's surrounding something that's called Israel. The reason I put that map up there is the land in dispute uh, is called Israel. Uh, It's about 400 kilometers long. It's about 100 kilometers wide at its widest point. Uh, It takes up 0.00001% of the world's landmass, and yet it commands the largest proportion of the world's media and attention. A small dot that size in the middle of all of the earth, lots of things going on, lots of trauma, lots of drama, lots of lives being affected. But it's like the world's media is focused on that small slither of land right there in the middle of the Middle East. Could you put the third picture up, please, George? This is Israel. This is Israel as it is today. Uh, Down the bottom left-hand side is a place called Gaza. Uh, That is a piece of land that is currently occupied by Hamas, and that's where all the trouble currently is centered on. There's a section in the middle there called the West Bank, uh, which is to some degree uh, has three sections in it, section A, section B, and section C, with various rules of who can go where and who can't go where, uh, and they share Jerusalem as their capital uh, Up the north is a place called the Golan Heights. And so uh, what are being called Palestinians uh, are occupying uh, the Gaza Strip, uh, the West Bank, uh, and Golan Heights. uh, And the people that are calling themselves Palestinians uh, and their terrorist organization, their terrorist government called uh, Hamas, uh, live in all three of those locations uh, with Israel just trying to get by, grow some oranges, uh, go to the temple, uh, uh, read uh, uh, the Bible and so forth. Uh, in the middle of that, with these terrorist organizations uh, holding sway in those three green areas. Uh, amen. Thanks, George, for that. About 2,300 B.C., uh, about four and a half thousand years ago, we understand there was a great worldwide flood. Do you believe your Bible? The Bible says that God judged the earth. There was a worldwide flood at that time. Can anybody tell me who was the only surviving uh, uh, male out of that, the only surviving adult male out of that? 
Noah, Noah and his family were on the boat, uh, eight in total. Uh, and so all of world civilization from the flood onwards uh, comes from uh, Noah and his family. Noah's three sons, 16 grandsons. Uh, these are the ones that populate the earth. Every living being today on planet earth uh, can trace their DNA back to Noah, his three sons, and their grandchildren. And the Bible says that one of Noah's grandsons is, has the name Canaan. And obviously Canaan went to live in that area that we had with the red circle, that area we showed in the larger map that contains Israel, the Gaza, the Golan Heights, and the West Bank. His grandson Canaan went to live in that area, and so they called it the land of Canaan, his Noah's grandson, living in that location, uh, occupying the land uh, and breeding uh, the people called the Canaanites. About 300 years later, Abraham, the text that we read tonight, is told by God to go from where he is living. He said, I don't want you to live over here. I want you to go to the land that I've set aside for you to live. It's the land of Canaan, the grandson of Noah. I want you to go to that place. I want you to occupy and inherit the land of Canaan. There's a place in the land of Canaan called Mount Moriah. You remember that Abraham, when he went to Canaan, he is told by God to sacrifice his son, his only son, Isaac, on Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah today contains the Temple Mount. It's the focal point of the capital city of Israel, Jerusalem. And so later on, David bought Mount Moriah from Aruna, the Jebusite. And in 960 BC, David's son Solomon built the first temple on this mountain in Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. Israel, which is the land of Canaan. I want you to, someone put their hand up and tell me where you heard the word Palestine in the middle of all of that. Where you heard anybody, there was a Palestinian from Palestine. You don't hear that in any of that. In other words, the history of the land of Israel, which goes all the way back to Noah, then Abraham, and then David is all about to, Noah's grandson, David, Abraham, and God's people, the Jews that live in that place. Amen. So the actual history of the real estate under dispute is exactly as I've described it there, and it predates any Islamic involvement by more than a thousand years. It means that God gave the land to Israel when nobody else lived there. Noah's grandson went and lived there and bred. God says, you can go and inherit the land that I gave to them. Uh, there's no place in that. Uh, the legal owners of that land obviously is uh, the Jews. In 63 BC, a little bit more history, a Roman general by the name of Pompey invaded Jerusalem and as punishment for their opposition to the Roman occupation he called Israel the land of the Philistines knowing that the enemy of the Jews was the Philistines he called it because he took it over as I call it what I want I'm going to call this place not Israel 
not the land of Canaan. I'm going to call it the land of the Philistines to torment the Jews. The, Palestine, the, word, the Latin word for the land of Philistines is Palestine. And so a Roman general, simply as a mock against the Jews, said, I'm going to call this place, I'm going to call it the land of Palestine, but there are no Palestinians and there were no Philistines. He simply wanted to mock the Jews who he had invaded. Amen. No Philistines live there. No Palestinians live there. He simply knew the Jews, who the only ones that lived there, would be upset by that title. From 870 AD, the Jews were scattered around the world, and Israel was largely uninhabited for 1,800 years. Mark Twain, a noted author from years gone by, he went and visited Israel uh, back in the late 1800s and he described what he saw when he got there. Uh, he described it this way. He says, of all the lands uh, there are for dismal scenery, I think this must be the prince. Renowned Jerusalem itself, the stateliest name in history, has lost all its ancient grandeur and has become a pauper village. The riches of Solomon are no longer there to compel the admiration of visiting oriental queens. The wonderful temple which was the pride and the glory of Israel is gone. This is a desolate and unlovely land. He said, I go there. There's no, no one lives there. It's just a desolate place. It's a, it's, a, it's a barren landscape. I'd heard about this. I went to visit. And what I found when I got there was literally nothing but barrenness. He called it the prince of dismal sceneries. 600 years before Jesus Christ came to earth, Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 11 and verse 12, God will set up a banner for the nations and he will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. To catch the story, 63 AD, uh, Roman general Pompey invades Jerusalem, uh, invades Israel, captures Jerusalem. Uh, 70 AD, all the Jews are scattered. They're gone for 1,800 years. But God says, I'm going to bring them back. I'm going to bring them back to the land that I gave Noah's son, uh, that I gave Abraham, that David bought rightfully for the Jews. Uh, I'm going to take them back to that place, uh, which at that point was largely... Uh, Uninhabited, and that's exactly what happened. Most would know. May 14, 1948, uh, the United Nations voted to give back to Israel what had been theirs, to give back to Israel what had been there since Noah's day. Uh, and they became the nation of Israel in 1948. On that day, in one day, just like the Bible said, and so you would think that this is it, we're done now, Israel got back what was given to them all those thousands of years before. Do you know what happened next? War happened next. That not every one of their neighbors, as a matter of fact, very few of their neighbors liked the fact that Israel had moved back to what was rightfully their piece of land and immediately 50 million Arabs began to fight against 800,000 Jews to try and occupy this desert landscape that Mark Twain described. The Arabs had their own air force and were being supplied with planes. 
from other Islamic allies. Israel, a brand new nation, didn't have a single airplane. It looked like 50 million versus 800,000. You would think that's a fait accompli. There's no chance they could win. They discount the fact that God takes sides in war. God chooses who he fights for and who he fights against. There was an American guy, I don't want to get too off track, an American guy called Al Schwimmer. He was a supporter of Israel with a name like Schwimmer, and he sees the odds there. He was a retired Air Force pilot from World War II. And he said, you know what, Israel needs some help. And so Al Schwimmer literally rallied a number of retired pilots from America, says, you want to go fight, fight in a war? We're going to go fight in the Middle East for the Jews against the Arabs. And all these old retired pilots says, yes, we will. Then they said, what are we going to fly? They said, well, listen, America's got a lot of excess military equipment. Why don't we buy some planes off them? Buy some old ammunition. So that's exactly what they did. They bought up old planes from America, filled them with ammunition that they bought with their own money, leapfrogged over to Israel, and they were the pilots that defeated the Arabs in 1948. Look it up yourself at some point. It's a great, it's a great story. That was the first of many wars. They also fought another war in 1956, 1967, 1983, 1982, uh, 2023. In the book, The Palestinian Delusion by a guy called Robert Spencer, he said, the Palestinians are an invented people uh, with no distinction between them and Muslim Arabs around them. Even their flag is a repurposed flag from a failed federation of Iraq uh, and Jordan from 1958. In 1977, a guy who was on the executive of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, a guy called Zahir Mussein, uh, said these words. He said, the Palestinian people... He's, he's part of the Palestinian Liberation Organization. But he said, the Palestinian people do not exist. The creation of a Palestinian state is only a means for the continuing our struggle against the state of Israel for our Arab unity. In reality, today, there is no difference between Jordanians, Palestinians, Syrians, and Lebanese. Only for political and tactical reasons do we speak today about the existence of a Palestinian people. It's simply a way to oppose Zionism. So here's a guy from the PLO saying, we have no reason to exist. We just hate Israel. There's no such thing as Palestinian people. There's no such thing as a Palestinian nation. There's no such thing as a Palestinian land. We're just simply wanting to fight the Jews. This is a way we can rally all the Arabs together to fight against the Jews. Yasser Arafat, who headed up the PLO back in the day. You'd think he'd be born in the Gaza, wouldn't you? He was born in Cairo, Egypt. He was born in Cairo, Egypt from Egyptian parents. And yet he's the one that they champion as being the champion of the Palestinians, uh, he himself uh, was an Arab 
Egyptians. So I say all of that tonight to say there should be no dispute. I lay it as a fairly solid foundation. The nation of Israel has a right to defend what has been their land for thousands of years. They especially have a right to defend their land against a created nation that's only created in order for the Arabs to fight against Zionism or to fight against the Jews. Amos chapter 9, verse 14 and 15, God says, I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. I shall plant them in their land, and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land. I have given them, says the Lord your God. There's a second thought. Having said that as a bit of a basic foundation, let's look second at what the incompatible on October the 7th, I mentioned that 11 days ago, 6.30 Israel time, uh, Hamas from Gaza, that little strip of land down the bottom there, the bottom left-hand side of Israel, Hamas launched unprovoked 5,000 bombs in 20 minutes. Those 5,000 bombs killed thousands, wounded tens of thousands, even more were dispossessed from their land, their houses, and when Israel defended itself against the unprovoked attack, the world media cried, let's all just calm down here a little bit. I'm thinking to myself, hang on a minute. They're simply in their houses. It's Saturday morning. There were some young people at a bit of a party over here. They're simply getting about their lives, not hurting anybody in the world. 5,000 rockets land in their midst. Thousands are killed and wounded. And the world simply says, let's just calm it all down. Now, my focus tonight in this point is not on Hamas using their own innocent civilian adults and children as human shields, nor is the fact that they build their military installations and rocket launches next to schools and hospitals, nor the fake news report of hundreds of babies being killed, which was a picture from a terrorist attack in Syria 10 years ago, nor the reality they won't allow their own innocent civilian adults and children to leave Gaza ahead of a promised Israeli ground attack, nor that not one of the 22 Arab nations have offered to take Gaza residents in. My focus is not on that. My focus is on the reality that there can be no peace between Israel And any Islamic nation, because Islamic nations have sworn that they will not allow Israel to live in peace. End of story. And as long as there are Muslims in the world, Israel will not be without a threat coming their way. Amen. In 2005, Iran's president, Mahmoud Aminajab spoke to 4,000 students at a World Without Zionism conference. He said the establishment of Zionist regime was a move by the world oppressor against the Islamics of the world. 
The skirmishes in the occupied land are part of the war of destiny. In referring to Ayatollah Khomeini, Aminajab said, As the Imam has said, Israel must be wiped off the map. So as we in the Western world start eating our cornflakes and buttering our toast and eating some marmalade, uh, and we're tut-tutting the idea of a war over there, uh, and is, is Israel giving a measured response to this? Uh, you ought to recognize uh, these guys, uh, the enemy of Israel, have sworn to wipe them off the map. I get a little sometimes tired of people that, you know, with no stomach for that kind of stuff. Well, Israel, they're being a little rough. <laughs> a little rough over there. So these guys want to wipe them off the map and what they have no right to defend themselves. To the land that God says is theirs and was legally given back to them in 1948. No right to defend themselves. You can't negotiate with people who deny your right to exist. There's no negotiations if they say, we, we, we don't negotiate. You have no right to be here. Why am I even talking to you? One of their fundamental religious dogmas is that Allah is pleased when Muslims kill Jews. In the Palestinian territories, Gaza, West Bank, Golan Heights, streets, public squares, summer camps, high schools, even kindergartens are named after suicide bombers and mass murderers. They celebrate suicide bombers when they kill Jews and they celebrate mass murderers when they kill Jews. They name features in their countries after those people. Can you imagine us going down and doing outreach at Ivan Milat Square? Can you imagine anybody in their right mind celebrating a suicide bomber or a mass murderer? Want to meet downtown at Martin Bryant Plaza for some outreach? We're celebrating that, brother. We tut-tut Israel's response to mass murders and suicide bombers. The Washington Post said, the most revered parent in Palestinian society is Mariam Farhat of Gaza. Her distinction Three of her sons were members of Hamas and died trying to kill Israelis. One in a suicide attack, hurling grenades into a room full of innocent school Jewish students. She gloried in her martyr sons, wishing only that she had a hundred boys like her schoolroom suicide attacker to sacrifice for the sake of Allah. She was revered as the mother of the struggle and they elected her to parliament. So we like, the, we like the way this woman thinks. Let's elevate her and give her a ruling say over the way we conduct ourselves here in Gaza. She's the mother of the struggle. In 1967, Israel was attacked by Egypt, Jordan, and Syria. Again, an unprovoked attack. They wanted to please Allah. They wanted to wipe Israel off the map Israel defeated that combined attack in six days. 
because God's on their side. And when they defeated those, those armies in six days, they took land four times the size of Israel that we saw there. They took land. They said, you know what, you want to attack us? We're going to take back four times the size. And then the world community says, listen, you've been a little harsh. We think you should give it back. And if you give the land back, they won't attack you again. So give them back the land so that they have a right to attack you from a closer distance. That's exactly what happened. What they won by legitimate war, they gave back to those surrounding nations. That means Israel is the only nation in the world that can be attacked by unprovoked oppressors, win a victory, then give those same nations the ability to attack them again. That, that doesn't make sense to me. It shouldn't make sense to you. In Zechariah chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, Zechariah says, Thus says the Lord, who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples. When they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all the nations of the earth are gathered against it. Well, God recognizes what we ought to recognize. There is an incompatibility between Jewish life God's people uh, and all of the Islamic nations around about them, uh, God says uh, this is incompatible. You're not going to find a peaceful solution here. In 2008, Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Olmert offered a Palestinian state in all of the West Bank with its capital in a shared Jerusalem. Uh, Mahmoud Abbas, chairman of the PLO, says we don't want that and then walked away because they don't want peace. They don't want a Palestinian state. They didn't want statehood with half of Jerusalem. They want Israel wiped off the map. One man said the Arabs never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. As every time the Israelis have given them pieces of land, let's give them Gaza. Let's, let's take all of the legitimate Jews out of Gaza, give that to them, uh, let that be the place. Uh, the moment they did that, Hamas took over, they voted the terrorist group in charge, uh, backed by the other Arab nations, uh, and made them just exactly what they are, a thorn in their flesh. They have a right to attack them anytime they want. Uh, and again, the world press, tut, 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 let's all just settle down here. The truth is, the Arab nations, the Muslim nations, they don't want peace. They want Israel gone forever. What would you do if you were Israel? How would you respond if you were Israel and all the surrounding nations want to wipe you off the map? I close one final thought, then we'll pray. And that's the inevitable I was saved back in 1983 
Those who are good with their maths know that that's 40 years ago. 40 years ago, I thought that Jesus Christ was coming back before the end of the year. Maybe it was no point getting married. That's how eminent I thought it was back in 1983. We read the late great planet Earth. I mentioned that on the weekend. And we thought Jesus Christ was coming back. And then Bob Hawke, back in the day, he was the Australian Prime Minister. He came out with the idea of the Australian card. And we said, that's the mark of the beast. It was probably nothing more than what we would call a Medicare card today. But back in 1983, man, this is cutting edge. This is the mark of the beast. In reality, you can't have the mark of the beast without a beast. So if you're looking for the mark of the beast, he's not here yet, therefore he can't have a mark. But that's, another, that's a whole other sermon. We thought Jesus Christ was coming back in 1983. All I can tell you is that we're 40 years closer than we were 40 years ago. And uh, having been saved 40 years back in the day when there was no fax machines, no internet, no mobile phone and all that, and now all the stuff that's taking place today, AI, and we can communicate and all the various things that we do, uh, we are 40 years closer to the return of Jesus Christ. And I simply want to say that all that we're seeing happening in the Middle East exactly lines up with what the Bible says is going to happen. That God says, I want to put my people in that place that I have set aside for them from thousands of years ago. Other nations will gather around them and want to oppress them, but I'm going to back that little group in there. And I'll also back those people that back that little group. Three things that are inevitable events on the prophetic calendar. I'll leave you simply with these things tonight. Number one is the invasion. There will be an invasion of Israel eventually. Ezekiel 38 and 39, you can read that for yourself in your own time. A coalition of nations against Israel led by Russia. All the stands from the Central Asia, Turkey, Ethiopia, Libya, and Iran will invade Israel. Ezekiel 38 and Ezekiel 39 says that uh, Russia from the north, all those others in between, uh, they'll surround Israel. There will be, there will be an invasion of Israel. Russia has its eyes on Israel's wealth. And the rest of the Muslim countries just have their eyes on wiping Israel off the map. They'll gather together against Israel in that day. Can I say that Hamas would not and could not attack Israel without Iran's permission 11 days ago? Can I say also a few weeks back, America foolishly released $9 billion to Iran. There will be an invasion of Israel. Ezekiel 38 and 39 says it. In Psalms 122 verse 6, pray for the peace in Jerusalem. May all who love this city prosper. My challenge tonight in preaching this is number one, is to recognize the, uh, the unenviable situation that Jews find themselves in Israel surrounded by 
hostile nations around them that want to wipe them off the map, number one. Number two is that you would begin to pray for Israel. And when you're sitting there eating your cornflakes, tutting over how you think they're responding and are they responding over, are they over-amping this? Are they, everybody just need to settle down a little bit. My Bible says you're to pray for peace in Jerusalem and all those who love that city, who love the Jews, uh, the Bible says you'll prosper. Number two, not only will there be an invasion of Israel, there'll be an intrusion by God himself. Because at the moment, Israel can take care of themselves. Thank you very much. They're very well equipped. They have a very strong army. They're rallying all the reservists up. Uh, uh, they're planning their ground invasion of Gaza and so forth. Uh, at the moment, they can take care of themselves. But Ezekiel 38, Ezekiel 39, they will not be able to defend themselves. The odds will simply be overwhelming against them. Uh, and the Bible says that God himself will take the field. Read it for yourself. God himself will take the field. Uh, he'll defend those who cannot defend themselves. Uh, Zechariah 12 verse 9, It shall be in that day that I, God, will seek to destroy all the nations uh, that come against Jerusalem. So number one, there's an invasion. Number two, there'll be an intrusion by God himself taking the field. Uh, and before all of that happens, the third point, which is the most important, is there will be an inversion. That is, before all of these things happen, Jesus Christ is coming back. Uh, and you and I are going to be raptured and go to heaven and watch this from heaven's grandstands uh, and see it all unfold before our very eyes. How do you believe in the rapture tonight? Like I said, I've been saying Jesus Christ is coming back for 40 years and we're 40 years closer. If you don't believe in the rapture, my Bible says that Enoch was raptured. My Bible says Elijah was raptured. My Bible says that Jesus ascended or was raptured himself. And one day soon, you and I all will be raptured. Can you say amen? And Luke 21 verse 28 says, Now when these things begin to happen, Look up, lift up your heads, uh, because your redemption draws nigh. When you read the news, it ought not to be putting you in a place of fear, a place of anxiety, a place of uncertainty. Uh, but my Bible says every time you see these things begin to unfold in the Middle East, uh, look up, have the victory. Be confident about what, that God's in control, uh, because your redemption draws nigh. My son David was born 30-something years ago. What was interesting was that um, it was our first baby, and uh, the due date was kind of coming up, and we thought, well, we've got, we've got some time to, uh, to get this sorted out. No problems at all. We had some things, some basic things there. Uh, but somebody hit my car. I thought to myself, you know what, we could probably get that fixed and get it back again and, and uh, then I could be able to take, uh, you know, take Anne to the hospital when the time comes. And so foolishly went to the panel beater, says, man, someone's hit my car, can you get it fixed? How long will it take? He said, oh, I'll be done in three days. I thought, plenty of time. He's not due for another week or so. 
So I drop the car off the, at the panel bit as we go home. That very night, <laughs> that very night, we're good people. We'd made some preparations. We understood the issues. But we simply were not ready when David decided to make his entrance into the world. That all the details, we had to walk down Bustle Highway, I had to carry the suitcase, that Anne's limping along, having just having a few little problems on the way. We had to walk a few kilometres off to the hospital. And uh, we're on Bustle Highway, and the way the road was, there was no verge on the side of Bustle Highway. It was a brick wall up to the verge. So we couldn't go up and down all, the, all those things. So we're actually on the road. Every time the cars come, we had to race up the driveway and end. Why did you say, why did you take the car to the panel beaters? I said, I told him we were in a hurry. <laughs> Jesus tells a parable. That was a real story. He tells a parable about 10 bridesmaids. The Bible says the bridegroom is going to come. They have to be ready at any moment for him to return and the Bible says there were five wise and five idiots. No rush. He didn't say five wise and five evil. Just foolish. Just thought they had plenty of time to get things right. Uh, then, what, then he came. They said, oh my God, we've got, no, we got no oil. Quick, where's the car? Get the suitcase. What's going on? The Bible says they missed their opportunity. I pray tonight that you're here in the building, especially young people, that uh, sometimes this is all too fanciful and too far-fetched for their little minds. Uh, you'd recognize that Jesus said, I'm coming back at an hour and a time that you do not know. And he says, you've got to be ready at every moment because if Jesus Christ was to come back tonight, come back now. Everything's in place. Uh, are you ready to go to meet your maker?